Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in... No, my, hi there, my, kia ora, and welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host, Alison, and I'm joined in the studio today by Karen. Kia ora, Karen. Kia ora, Alison. It's great to see you here today, Karen. Now, look, sometimes when you love books so much, like we do, you want to talk about books all the time, and then you want to read books about books or books whose plot lines are related to other books. And um, this is what we've been doing, isn't it, Karen? And uh, the great thing is that now we get to talk about it. It was the one thing that was missing from your list. You read about books and, and talk about books. <laughs> yeah, we've got to do that. Now, look, I'd like to start with um, an amusing book that I've been reading. It's called Dear Fahrenheit 451. Uh, librarians love letters and break up notes to her books. And it's written by Annie Spence. I'm going to be honest here, the title I think is absolutely brilliant and I don't know, maybe it's the best part of the book, I'm not sure. But um, Annie Spence is a librarian in the Midwest of America and she's very funny, yet I think she's a bit jaded and cynical. Um, but anyway, the book consists of a, a series of letters that she's written to the books in her life um, and they're the books on her shelves, um, on her public library shelves and hilariously the, the shelves at people's parties which reminds me of a, a Joni Mitchell song, actually. Don't get me singing. Um, oh, now no. this one's, what, jo yes. what Joni Mitchell song oh, is called? Oh, People, People's Parties. Oh, you know, no, I oh, didn't know it. Yeah, oh, okay, one day I'll do that. Um, is that uh, like all tomorrow's parties? Yeah, well, it's the people that have got a lot of style, <laughs> actually. So this book is great if you... If you're looking for inspiration, um, you'll come away with lists of books that, that you want to read or maybe you want to read them again. And um, it's light enough that you can dip into, in and out of, and you don't need to read it from beginning to end. So this can be actually quite good, especially when times are a bit hard. But there's this um, really cool letter that she writes to the book, Fahrenheit 451 and it goes, now I'm going to be quoting um, exactly, okay so, dear Fahrenheit 451 don't ever change and stay here with us always you were created in a library and I'm comforted by the fact that you'll remain on library shelves around the world if we ever get to a point where you're not included in the core of a book collection, well, then we're all fucked. Like our civilization is flinging itself to pieces, stand back from the centrifuge type of fucked. Some days the world feels closer to that point than I'm comfortable with. It's been a pleasure to learn, Annie. Doesn't that tell you, you know, isn't that sort of relevant? for today um, and I think she captures the um, aspects of the library profession really well you I think thought she was a little bit harsh at times did you not or was it, I might be imagining that I'm not sure when she was talking maybe I'm 
Am I misquoting you about the Harlequin, Harlequin romance section in the library? Well, yeah, I don't actually remember the Harlequin <laughs> romance, but I do remember something very similar. And I think what you heard me say when I was reacting to it was that I felt a bit harsh about her. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, not so much about the Harlequin romance display, but about the fact that she was commenting on it. And in the same way, I had her, I had really, it had jumped out at me when she was scoring an easy hit on a woman who read a kind kind of fiction that she didn't think was, uh, she would not stoop to, oh. was the impression that I got, uh, inspirational yes. fiction perhaps. You know, good for her. She's reading something that she likes and I just felt it was like those librarians of old who we talk about who judged your morals by what you read and she's doing the same thing. She's not doing it with morals, that's very old fashioned, but she's doing it with, uh, she's judging people's intelligence by what oh. they read is what it seems to me and it's that thing that Hunter S. Thompson identified as um, the fear of our age being the fear of stupidity. Oh, right. <laughs> yes. Although actually it's not Hunter's age anymore. Hunter's long been shot yes. out into the universe. <laughs> and um, I think, isn't it now the fear of missing out is the big oh, fear? Oh, yes, that's the great one. Or even since then, it's the fear of science. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, to be even more modern. <laughs> Amongst some of us. Yeah. Um, but still, you know, I chose, I do cheer her on for choosing Fahrenheit 451 as her star interlocutor and in her correspondence. It really is... I want to put it out there, one of the great book lovers' books of all time. Yeah. And also one of the great reads. Right from the start, this got that, it just, I, I reread it in preparation for this. When we read the whole book, I leafed through the whole mm. book. And I, you open it up and there's that famous epigraph right at the start. Fahrenheit 451, the temperature at which book paper catches fire and burns. So for those of you out there who haven't had the pleasure... Fahrenheit 451 is a thriller. I think Raymond Brad Ray Bradbury would be the first not to disdain that characterization, wouldn't you say, Alison? Mm, mm. And set in a dystopian future, which can seem scaringly close yes. today, as Annie Midwest Librarian points out, where books are outlawed and troops of firemen, little quotes around that, spend their time hunting them down and burning them. And a band of resistors keeps the books alive for future generations by each one choosing a book and memorizing it. And then they walk around reciting them over and over again until the day that they can be printed. And it was indeed, um, I can corroborate, written in a library, as Annie says. Powell Library at UCLA. It was my sister, a UCLA graduate, who told me this, and library lover. Um, I came across his telling of it many years later. It's in the foreword that he wrote for an anthology for book lovers called A Passion for books we might say uh, for an anthology for book lovers and librarians yeah so he mm. reminisces about how he would go down in the basement of the powell library when he discovered that you could pay 10 cents and get a half an hour on a royal typewriter and that was where so talking the 1950s and that was where he wrote fahrenheit 451 in nine days it cost him nine dollars and 80 cents in total oh, wow yeah. yes <laughs> it's like great? a um, early maker space in a yeah, way isn't exactly, it yeah. exactly make a book yeah. and conveniently he could run upstairs to the main library to get sentences from great books to put in the mouths of his characters oh, and that was free you didn't have to yes, pay for yeah. transport anywhere and ray bradbury actually really is a character in himself just um as a, as a writer, when he talks about how, so in this same foreword that he wrote for the um, Passion for Books, he talks about how he wants to be buried with his favorite books, like the ancient Egyptians were buried with their favorite cats. Oh, Remember, yes. they embalmed their cats. Yes. Um, and he says, good company for far traveling. 
I just love that so yes. much. And then he says something that Annie, the Midwest librarian, I think should learn to say. I can sum up my feelings <laughs> about Annie, <laughs> which is, in the meantime, you know, before he gets to his far traveling, in the meantime, I stand here with my hopeless prejudices to preface these loves. Ah, yes. Yeah. And um, what kind of um, pieces are in this book? The, the book Passion for Books. Um, which is, you know, the subtitle, what is it? Um, the Book Lover's Treasury of Stories, Essays, Humour, Lore and Lists on Collecting. Improving. Collecting, improving, reading, borrowing, lending, caring for and appreciating books. Well, I'll give you the example I tell you about my favourite, which is Clifton Fadiman on the Art of Reading in Bed. It's a piece called Pillow Books, oh. and he identifies three types of pillow books. So the first one is the ones that people read to keep them awake the longest. They're, then there are the ones that people misuse to put them to sleep. For example, um, Coleridge would do this when, his, when he was trying to kick laudanum. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the one where you read a dull book, hoping mm. it'll put you to sleep. Clifton Fadiman does not believe in this. He says, dull books only soothe dull minds. A healthy mind will be irritated. And this irritation being of a special kind, he says, known as Boredom. Uh-huh. Yes, definitely doesn't put you to sleep, just makes you angry. And his choice is the best, but here's what he says, the best books to read in bed are those that deny the existence of tomorrow and draw invisible curtains around us. So he wants the books to be, he says, a bridge between the sharp fact of daily existence and the cloudy fact of the dream life. So his recommendation is books about travel or possibly books about food and drink. Very good, good recommendations. Yes. Well, I'll um, leave you with that. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't a, fall asleep now, though. No, I think I nearly did. Um, uh, <laughs> so, a bit of a segue here, but I've been reading this fabulous um, book called The Novel Cure, and it's an A to Z of literary remedies. Um, I absolutely love this book. It's another one that you'd want to dip in and out of. Um, those times when you might be feeling a bit blah or unsettled or you can't concentrate for long periods of time. And um, hundreds of ailments are described in the books in alphabetical order. And um, for each ailment, a good read is prescribed. And so the ailments range from being unable to find a decent cup of tea to needing a good cry, from perfectionism to piles to PMT. You name a condition and it's in this book. So the authors have, um, what I love about what they've done, they've trawled through about 2,000 years of literature to create a book pharmacy. And it's like um, a medical reference book. All you've got to do is look up your ailment, such as lack of courage, and you'll be prescribed a cure. And in this case, the cure for a lack of courage is to read To Kill a Mockingbird. So bibliotherapy at its best, 500 pages of fun and great book lists, really good index, um, would be great for a book club. Sounds really good. And funny you should say needing a good cry because that was definitely a leitmotif of my childhood. And I would pick out books just so as I knew already I would sob my heart out at the end. I've done that in my adult life too. Um, two I remember as being really great for sobbing your heart out were Zorba the Greek and A Prayer for Owen Meany. Oh, yes. Not sure if you've read those. Yep. Anyway, the one that I want to suggest for our books about books is also one where I sobbed my heart out and it is The Book Thief, Marcus Zusak. Oh, I did too. I cried. 
and cried. I just, I love this book so much. I came to it late, long after everyone else had read it. I thought it was going to be too young for me, and then I thought, oh, I'll read it, but I actually only read the first page, and someone took it away from me. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. I, I, for years I thought I'd read it, and then I got it out and read it. I was just thrown just it was over threw me overboard into mm. the into a whole nother world um it's it explodes age stereotypes it's not a book for young people or a book for old people like treasure island you know just um when they're great enough they're they're for anyone and the writing skill the characterization the weaving in of history the way it teaches history without it seeming like teaching this in, as regards young people reading it the originality so especially this idea I'm not sure if everyone knows this the book is actually narrated by death if you've seen the movie I think mm-hmm. death does voiceovers in the movie yes. so you kind of know that not giving anything away but uh, it's the totally unexpected way death thinks which is so amazing and the way he sees and speaks I'm giving him a he I'm mm. not sure death was actually I, see, I think of him as a he it's oh, terrible isn't it <laughs> Death was actually the saddest character of all. And there's the part when he talks about the homeless coming after him, begging to take them away. Oh. It's just... Ah. Mm. And um, and he says... And they just don't realize it's the middle of the Second World War in Nazi Germany. And he says, and they just didn't realize I was just too busy. Mm. And then he says, um, they say... This is my other one. I can't, I've got this here. <laughs> I've got to tell you this one. Um, they say that war is death's best friend, he says. But I have a different point of view. And what he says is, to me, war is like the new boss who expects the impossible. He stands over your shoulder repeating one thing incessantly. Get it done. Get it done. So you work harder. You get the job done. The boss, however, does not thank you. He asks for more. Yeah. It's it's one of the best books I've read ever, I would say. I just think it's so incredible how it's got the ugly and the beauty. He actually talks about that. Death says that about humans. He says, I'm, I see them at their best and I see them at their worst. And he says, I see their ugly and their beauty. And it's exactly what the book does, how he manages to get that into this book. So, um, without, um, without hitting you over the head with it, it's just, it grabs you at your heartstrings instead, doesn't it? And then, of course, the love of books and writing, which the, um, embodied by, impersonated by, um, by Liesel, the, yes. the book thief, who is the book thief. And she ends up writing her own book, which is The Book Thief, talking mm. about metafiction. And it's last line of her book, The Book Thief, which shows how she's absorbed exactly what books and reading are all about when she says, I have hated the words and I have loved them and I hope I have made them right. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Fabulous book. Now, a book that's um, had a lot of impact on me um, is Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookshop. Um, so um, Mr. Penumbra is, a, is the owner of a, a bookshop in San Francisco. He's a real shadowy figure, partly there, partly not there. Um, and this book is written by Robin Sloan. It's a real favourite of mine, actually. And it's... Um, at, at its heart, it's really this tension between the old way of doing things and our new digital way that we do things. And um, a young San Francisco web designer called Clay loses his job in a great recession. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And he takes up a job on the night shift at a, this really mysterious bookshop. And after just a couple of nights at the shop, he becomes suspicious because there are only a real few number of customers and they come in all the time and they never buy anything. But they're looking at really obscure ancient books in dark corners of the book, of the shop, uh, 
sorry. And um, the owner, Mr. Penumbra, he seems to be colluding with the customers in some sort of way. So Clay, this this great sort of web analyst, he decides that the bookshop is a a front for something or a money laundering business. So he gets his mates at Google to do some investigation and um, they end up going on a, a huge adventure to try and get to the bottom of what's going on. It's full of secret societies and old literary works. It really um, reminds me a lot of Cory Doctorov's work, but I just love it and it's a, it's a great read. Well, I suppose it was bound to happen that we would each bring a book about bookshops where we said, yeah. let's talk about books about books. I brought The Bookshop by Penelope Fitzgerald. Oh, yes. And I think it's a perfect little book. My judgment of this book is perfect little book for a train ride. Don't ask me why a train ride, but I can tell you it has to be a train ride in England and best of all in East Suffolk where the book is set. Um, at times referred to on the book cover as East Anglia, but at any rate, East, let's put it that mm. way, um, where Florence Green decides to open a bookshop in a small town called Hardborough, which is a premonition of things to come it's very hard for her to (laughs) open this bookshop in a town and um this is penelope fitzgerald a very underknown english novelist who writes marvelous lines like this at eight o'clock she unplugged her electric kettle and plugged in her radio set which immediately began to speak of trouble in cyprus and yasa land and then told her with a slight change of intonation that the expectation of life was now 68.1 years for males and 73.9 years for females as opposed to 45.8 for males and 52.4 for females at the beginning of the century. She tried to feel that this was encouraging. <laughs> so the key moment in this book, yeah, no, she's, her quips are fantastic. So the key moment in regards to our books about books focus is when Florence has to decide whether or not to stock Lolita. Uh-huh. So when this story is set, Lolita is newly published, it's all the rage, and it's not yet a classic. And some people um, are highly opposed to it, and she, as they still are. And But they don't have the argumentation that it's a classic because it's not yet a classic. So she asks the grand old hermit of the village, who's the only one who actually supported her and wished her luck with her bookshop. And she says, is it a good book and would it be right for me to sell it? And he says, he's read it. He says, "Um, I don't attach, attach as much importance as you do to the notions of right and wrong. I've read Lolita, as you requested. It's a good book and therefore you should try to sell it to the inhabitants of Herdborough. They won't understand it, but that's all to the good. Understanding makes the mind lazy. Mm, what a good quote. Yeah, um, speaking of Lolita, do you know, to be really honest, I find it quite a troublesome book, at, purely at face value. Um, what do you, And I, I know that you don't really think of it like that, do you? Um, well, troublesome. Um, no, I, I didn't find it troublesome. I didn't find it disturbing. I think what a lot of people talk about is it's disturbing. Uh, it just, because to me, it just seems so fictional. And because I've read Nabokov and I know that Nabokov was a teasing, cerebral kind of guy who really enjoyed um, provoking the mind with puzzles and games and playing chess i sort of think of him as a chess player i I probably Mm -hmm. probably is attested to it someplace that he is so i just saw it as an exploration of obsession and that because he wants to um as it's kind of like we're talking about metafiction you know so if you're gonna talk about 
if you're going to try and write about obsession, write about it in a way that will obsess people. Because Lolita has certainly obsessed critics and readers through the centuries. It has been centuries? <laughs> a century. Um, yeah. Because of, not even, um, because of the fact that it's so, that the subject matter is so disturbing to so many people. So I think it's all part of his plan. Oh, right. Yeah, very meta, isn't it? Because um, even though I said I am troubled by it, I'd never, ever advocate for it to be censored, as as some people have done. Yes, well, you know, this is the thing we say in libraries, that people have the right to read the book and have their own reaction. And as I see it, about in fact, this book talking about own reactions. You know, a lot of people who read it, different people have different come up with different um, ideas about what it's about. Even so, I see it as being about obsession. But I remember reading once a critic saying that it was all about power. That it was he mooted that Lolita stood for Russia and Humbert Humbert was the oppressive dictator of Russia in the same way that he was the dictator of. Um, of Lolita and um, you know oppressive dictators speaking of once again (laughs) classics always timely (laughs) that's isn't that the truth yeah oh no it's interesting Um, and you can see why people talk a lot about about this book Um, which brings me to another one that I've been reading this is a huge read um, called Reading Lolita in Tehran and it's written by um, Azar Nafisi and it's actually a memoir in books. And boy, what a memoir it is. Now, I can't do the, this book justice in just a couple of minutes but because I think we could spend an entire show on it or a, a show on all the Lolitas. Um, but anyway, it's about the author Azar Nafisi's experience, uh, experiences, actually, as a university professor during and after the Iranian revolution and um, this all of this part is true she gets expelled from the University of Tehran and then she forms an underground book club which um, uh, comprises seven of her female students and they meet weekly at Nafisi's house and they discuss work great works of Western literature, uh, including the controversial Lolita, uh, which at this stage has been banned um, in in Iran. Um, so they, it's very clever. Um, historical events are interwoven um, through the life stories of the students and also the books they're studying and discussing. It's a really complex book. And it's divided into four sections. So, um, and one's called Lolita, and then there's Gatsby, James, and Austin. It's one of those. Sorry, would that be Henry James? Just trying to keep my see what great authors she's picked here. (laughs) Yes, Um, and um, it's one of those books. It's a really a big experience, really full on experience to to read it. Um, And I, it's one I need to read again. Actually, I I would say it's one of the most powerful books I've ever read. It sounds there's something about the. I guess it's sort of the fact of just because we know about Iran and females, because I'm getting a, a touch of sadness from this too. Yeah, um, it is. It's it's very very sad. There's a lot of grief, um, definitely that that comes through it. Is there yeah. a sense of the new regime versus the old regime and the possibilities for women? Yes, is that. One of the themes. Yes, very much so. And in fact, the author has been criticised by academics, um, her, her contemporaries to some extent, and saying that she's 
oh, I don't know, almost like a, an American spy or that um, she valued Western civilization over um, the the great Middle Eastern civilization. So there's been a lot of discussion around it. Did you but feel that she was, by presenting these Western authors, she was valuing them more or was she just saying let's enlarge our horizons? Yeah, I think it was more the, the latter, that, yeah, let's just um, have a look at them and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, it's certainly worth a read, but I, I need to read it again. It's it's huge. Oh, maybe we will have a show in the future all about it. I think we could, actually. Um, so perhaps on a lighter note, because this has been very heartbreaking, hasn't it? Some of our, our um, books about books. Um, I just wanted to um, leave you with a couple of um, literary remedies that are in um, the, this great book that I've got here called The Novel Cure. Um, and because we've been talking about needing a, a a good cry. There's one, um, if you look up um, tired and emotional, um, the remedy for that is you must read The Friday Night Knitting Club by Kate Jacobs. And which, oh, and then it also says, what does it say there? The, which is the literary equivalent of a hand-knitted Afghan rug. It sounds like a good opportunity for lots of puns on a good yarn. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very well done, you. And um, I love how it's also quite librarian-ish as well, um, the way it says, see also in need of a good cry. Mm. I always like a good see also. You see also, alphabetized. Yes. yes. <laughs> and... Um, being in alphabetical order, the um, next to tired and emotional, you'll find um, the um, affliction tinnitus, which is the ringing in the ears. And this is where they recommend a good Jonathan Franzen. Which one was it, actually? So that would that be because Jonathan Franzen oh. is um, tone deaf or something? <laughs> it might be. <laughs> Sometimes actually. is, in my opinion. But yes. other times, great. So, And it's freedom um, by... Jonathan Friends and I which was that's because he's a bit like an echo chamber in a way. Oh, right. <laughs> I, was just thinking, I was wondering yes. if it had to do with freedom having somewhat bombed, didn't it, in comparison to his previous books, wasn't oh, it? The one? Yes. Yes. And they say it's an unremitting jabber. Um, they don't actually give it a very good good review. So perhaps it left Jonathan Franzen with a ringing in his ears since he's not someone who takes to not getting good reviews. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, now, and if I go back a couple of pages, um, if you're unable to find a good cup of tea, so tea, comma, unable to find a good cup of, they recommend The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm, that's one of your favourites, is. isn't it? It is. And that's because um, I seem to remember that the drink on the um, spaceship, the the drinks machine was called the Neutromatic Drink Synthesizer, which sounded really cool, didn't it? It did. Any sort of drink you want at this restaurant. So, um, yeah, wonderful books. Um, kind of is lovely. that like you can get any... But yes. You can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant. restaurant. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> where I was going. Yeah, with that. So... Um, Wow. And uh, what else did were we... I think we might be just about... Well, I had that other... Um, I had another good moment from... Um, let me get my copy of... 
Where is it? Something we'd been talking about, wasn't it? No, no, it was my bookshop book. It was when she says, oh, um, oh, yeah, when she says, um, then she listens to the warning to shipping. This is another one about how to how to pull yourself together and feel better. Is listen to warning to shipping on the rail on the news on the excuse me on the radio, um, where she says. Um, you know, this is like the, the follows on her tea as the way of, um, calming her. So that could be, oh, you'd have to have another one on radio shows, wouldn't yes. you? Know? Listen to, but we could be our podcast. Oh, yes. Books and Beyond is what to have with your cup of tea. Absolutely. Yes, when you need a good laugh. And you need to learning. know what to do tomorrow. Go out yeah. and get all the good books to read. <laughs> That's right. Oh, look, well, well done us. Now, just a reminder that the books mentioned on today's show are listed on the Books and Beyond blog. And this sits on the Auckland Library's website. And all of this can be accessed via the Planet FM website. And both of these web addresses will be coming up as part of our closing music today. So until next time, happy reading and haerera. Haerera kakite ano. It's nice to have been back here today, Alison. It's been great. Kakite ano. Kakite ano. was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day.